Tabernacle Pitched Without the Camp is the title of our message taken from Exodus chapter 33 and verses 1 to 11. We have two thoughts for our consideration. Rebuke and remorse, verse 1 to 6. Repentance and renewal, verses 7 to 11. God cannot dwell among his people where there is uncleanness and open idolatry. How did this start? Well, it started because there were those who came out of Egypt who were not a part of Israel. Perhaps they were Egyptians and the murmurings start with this group and it affects the people of Israel. We ask for God's mercy as we see God's anger kindled upon Israel for their unfaithfulness, worshipping the golden calf that they made with their hands. They were in direct transgression of the second commandment that the Lord gave. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath and that is in the water under the earth. God's wrath was immediately evident with 3,000 who died by the sword. They were engaged in idolatrous worship. To help us to see what we are speaking about, we, you may view it and understand it in the way that the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, going forth to slay all falsehood. God understood that there was this idolatrous worship and there were these immoral practices that was going on. At the end of Exodus chapter 32, you see the Lord plagued the people. That was where we ended uh, last Lord's Day at verse 35 of Exodus 33. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the golden calf which Aaron made. The Lord plagued the people. Why did the Lord plague the people? The Lord could have consumed them. In fact, in chapter 32, when they built and become, they began to worship the golden calf, it was frightening. It was open idolatry, challenging God. And when men rise up to challenge the authority of God, well, they have to be put down very clearly. And this was what the Lord did in order that there may indeed be sanctity and holiness in the house of God. God's wrath was immediately evident when 3,000 died by the sword. These were engaged in idolatrous worship. And as we say, the presence of God departed from the camp. 
God could not continue to dwell in the midst of an unclean people. The people were not repentant of their sins. They were not serious in their spiritual life. And God could see they were paying lip service and they were not true to their consecration. And there are grave consequences to sin. We see how the Lord clicked the people and how the Lord admits no rival or competition in worship. He will not give His glory to another God or His praise to graven image. You see, that's what's happening, isn't it, when they built the golden calf. The intention was to divide the people of God. And that's very evil, isn't it? And that's why the Lord had to deal with it. The Lord says in Isaiah 42, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. For thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 24 and 25 says, Even a jealous God, when thou shalt beget children and children's children, and ye have remained in the land, and shall corrupt yourselves and make a graven image or the likeness of anything, and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Open idolatry. The incursions of an unsanctified heart well, need to be dealt with, isn't it? And it burst out in open idolatry. And that is a sad thing. For Israel had just come out of Israel, uh, come out of Egypt, come out being separated. And now they wanted to separate an idol unto themselves in the midst of the people of God. It would divide the people of God. And that is uh, terrible incursions. And James wrote against succumbing to the temptation to sin against God. James 1 verse 14 says, But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed, then when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, it bringeth forth death. Lust. Lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh. The pride of life. These are the things that the Lord hates. Bring it far from the sanctuary of God. Do not come with this Stop it. Allow it to be nipped in the bud so it does not affect the congregation of God's people. It was that moment of folly. And here in our text, we read the consequences of sin. Moses, discerning the will of God, took the tabernacle 
and pitched it outside the camp. What happened? Why did he have to go out of the camp and pitch the tabernacle outside the camp? Because God cannot dwell in uncleanness. He has to make a separation. Make it clear. He took the tabernacle. The tent where with he would meet with the people of God and he pitched it outside. Why did he have to pitch it outside? You see, at that time, until now, we have studied chapter 31. The blueprint for the building of the tabernacle was being given. Every detail of the tabernacle has been given to the people of God so that they know what it is, how to build it. But they haven't built the tabernacle. It's not built yet. This was an interlude in order that the Holy Spirit may bring to remembrance and show us the depravity of the human heart. The depravity of the human heart. And how it had to be dealt with. So there is these three chapters whereby God would show how he dealt with sin. And that the progress of God's work was not affected as a result of this incursions. And you see that the glory of God departed from within the camp to where it was pitched outside the camp. Verse 7 of our text tells us, And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off, from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation which was without the camp. The people were not repentant. Verse 5 of our text, the Lord says to Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, Ye are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee that I may know what to do unto thee. What were those ornaments that they put on? Those were the ornaments that they were used, that they used to build the golden calf. It was an ornament of pride that they have their way on their own beside the Lord, beside His servant. 
How sad it is. The Lord says, Ye are a stiff-necked people. In fact, in chapter 32, the Lord's anger was kindled and He wanted to immediately destroy the entire congregation that He has brought out of Egypt. But Moses interceded. Lord, be merciful. What would the people say that you have brought them out and then you consume all of them and it's obliterated, the witness disappears? So the Lord withheld his hand. He did not destroy totally. But it was a slow death, isn't it? Forty years they would spend in the wilderness, walking round and round and round and round. That's the trouble, isn't it? When we haven't truly repented of our sins. We are following God at our own agenda, by our own flesh, by our own pleasing. That shouldn't be. Of course, we say there is a time to renew the mind, give time to renew the mind. But when the unrenewed mind is bent on mischief and is affecting the peace of the people of God, then that's not good, isn't it? That was what happened to Israel. That was what the Lord said to them. Ye are a stiff-necked people. I will come up unto, into, unto, into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee that I may know what to do unto thee. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Horeb. They were still in Mount Sinai, the place whereby God gave them the law. And what did the people say after God gave them the law? They made a covenant with the Lord. And what did they say to the Lord? Well, they promised the Lord that they would obey Him. They would follow Him. They would keep His commandments. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 24 and verse 6. Exodus chapter 24 and verse 6. They made their vows. Exodus 24, verse 6. And Moses took half of the blood and popped it in the basin, half of the blood and sprinkled on the altar, and he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. 
And look what happened. There at the bottom, in Mount Sinai, they changed, they turned. There was no true commitment. And the seduction came. How did it come? Well, upon those who were not the Israelites, they came out of Egypt with them. As it were, I do not belong to you. I have no responsibility. I'm not accountable to anyone. I do as I please. That's a very frightening thing, isn't it? I have no accountability. I'm not part of you. And yet I'm with you. Those were the group of people that caused these incursions and disturbed the peace in Israel. And that is sad. But that was what happened. So the people said, he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. This was the solemn vow, promise that they made to God. So that when this happened and they they have turned, they know in their own heart why the glory of God left them. In the book of Ezekiel, it's described in chapter 10 and chapter 11 how the Spirit of God left the temple in Jerusalem. It was there hovering and it began to move and then it moved out. It moved away. God cannot dwell with His people if they would not repent of their sins. The word tabernacle in verse 7 is the Hebrew word ohel which in a literal sense means a tent, which is distinguished from the tabernacle, which is the Hebrew word mishkan, which means the dwelling place. So verse 7, the Lord took, Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. God cannot dwell in the midst of uncleanness after the open idolatry of the people of Israel. And Moses rightly understood this truth and he pitched his tent outside the camp. He pitched his tent outside the camp. When the Bible Presbyterian Church began, it began in a tent because the leaders believed that we should not carry on with a culture of smoking and drinking which was allowed in their existing church. They knew that if this persists then you would have a new generation of people with 
compromised values. And therefore, they had to take a strong stand. And they came out. And they built themselves a temporary place, a tent, to begin worship. All the property belonged to the group that said they would continue with those old ways. The separation. And the Lord wants us to see the rebuke and the remorse. Verse 1 to 6. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought out of the land of Egypt unto the land which I swear to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. And I will send an angel before thee and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites. But the Lord says, I will not go up in the midst of thee. I will not go with you. For thou art a stiff-necked people. You haven't really changed. Your ways are your old ways. If the ways are the old ways, the heart is not renewed, the mind is not renewed, then you're going to lead others to the old ways, isn't it? And it's very frightening. It cannot be. It must not be. Unless there is a true renewal, there's a true change. But the Lord pointed out through Moses, to Moses that there was no change. For thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man did put on him his ornaments. The Lord saw and saw through. The rebuke came. There was remorse, but there was no true repentance. The people of Israel mourned when they heard God's stern review and judgment. The Lord said to them, Put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. Those were the ornaments used to create the idol they worshipped. Though he promises to make good of his covenant, to give the land to them, yet he would deny them his presence to bless them. And he says, you go with the angel. I will send an angel before thee for thy protector. Otherwise, the evil angels would destroy thee. I will not go up in the midst of thee, lest I consume thee.
This was what the Lord said to them. It was a solemn call to national repentance. I'm reminded of the call by President Abraham Lincoln on the 30th of April, 1863, to a day of national fasting, prayer, and humiliation in America. This was his letter to the nation, and I quote it in full. By the President of the United States, a proclamation. Whereas the Senate of the United States, devoutly recognizing the supreme authority and just government of Almighty God in all the affairs of men and nations, has by a resolution requested the President to vaccinate and set apart a day for national prayer and humiliation. And whereas it is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proved by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord and in so much as we know that by His divine law nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world. May we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war which now desolates the land may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved this many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. That's the trouble, isn't it? Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Now, therefore, in compliance with the request and fully concurring in the views of the Synod, I do by this my proclamation, designate and set apart Thursday, 30th day of April, 1863, as a day of national humiliation, fasting and prayer. And I do hereby request all the people to abstain on that day from their ordinary secular pursuits and to untie at their several places of public worship 
and their respective homes in keeping the day holy to the Lord and devoted to the humble discharge of the religious duties proper to that solemn occasion. All this being done in sincerity and truth, let us then rest humbly in the hope authorized by the divine teachings that the united cry of the nation will be heard on high and answered with blessings no less than the pardon of our national sins and the restoration of our now divided and suffering country to its former happy condition of unity and peace. In witness whereof I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed. Done at the city of Washington, this 13th day of March, in the year of our Lord, 1863, and of the independence of the United States, the, <coughs> the 87th, by the President Abraham Lincoln, William H. Seward, Secretary of State. The people's melancholic reception of this message. It was evil tiding to them that they should not have God's special presence with them. Therefore they mourn. They want God to bless them. And yet they don't want to follow God on His terms. That's who we are, isn't it? We come to God on our own terms. We define what Christianity is. Our definition, it doesn't suit us away with it. I have my own plan. That's how things must be run in my own family. How sad, isn't it? When God's law are cast aside, when it suits us, we follow. When we, it doesn't suit us, gone with it. How can the nation prosper with a divided heart? Cannot prosper. And that is why the Spirit of God gave this interlude from chapter 32 to chapter 35 before they would construct the tabernacle and institute true worship. These things had to be dealt with. 3,000 of them at one time laid dead upon the spot by the Levites' sword. They have not repented. Sin has its consequences. And for them, God said to them, lay aside your ornaments. And so you see, they did. There was deep mourning as they take off their earrings 
God called them to weep and to mourn. Did not our Lord Jesus Christ, when He came upon earth, and the first thing He says in His teaching, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn the poverty in spirit. To have a poverty of spirit. A heart that is that realizes our own depravity. And that is so needful, isn't it? If we think a whole lot about who we are, not by the standards of God, by the concoction of our old life, then it's a sad thing, isn't it? But the Lord seeks that our minds may be renewed, that there may be a true change in our spiritual life. Only when there is a true change, there is true sanctification, then there is healing, there is restoration, isn't it, in the whole. Repentance and renewal, verse 7 to 11. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that every one which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. And it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. Israel had sinned. God separates himself from a sinful people. The holy God cannot abide any longer in the central spot of a camp that is defiled by sin. The tabernacle strictly called, has not been built and commissioned. So what did Moses do? He shifted the tent in which he met with the people far away, outside. So that those who would be repentant would be able to come and seek help. And there you see the presence of the Lord. Verse 9, And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped, every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. Moses undertook to mediate between God and Israel. He went out to the tabernacle, the place of safety, 
pitched between them and the mount, and he entered into the tabernacle. This was the, the best that could be done to allow time to work in the heart that there would be a turning away from their idolatrous idolatry and to come back to God. So when they came back, they came out, there was renewal. They saw how God separated himself from them when they were unfaithful to him. He saw them, he saw them through and through. And he is grieved. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, where, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you. And with all malice, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. The unforgiving heart, I would not forgive because this one brother offend another brother. Well, if you will not forgive, Christ has forgiven us. Christ says, I won't forgive you too if you won't forgive. Only when there is such, then there is healing. And I pray the Lord would grant healing to his people. God cannot dwell in the midst of his people when there are unconfessed sin. We come to the presence of God in renewal when we put away sin. Israel has sinned. They were such a privileged people. And yet, in their moment of folly, they turned their eyes from their God and they grieved Him. Sin tears God's people from their God. Yet, God provided a way for the earnest seeker to still find Him when they went outside the place of sin. Rebuke and remorse Verse 1 to 6, repentance and renewal. May the Lord be gracious to strengthen his people as we review and see how God is so good to his people. He always provides a way out for us. And may we seek indeed to find him waiting for us as did the prodigal son 
who return to the Father. May God be gracious to strengthen us. Let us pray. Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word. Strengthen Thy people and grant to us Thy joy and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. May the blood of Jesus Christ wash away all sins. This I pray with thanksgiving. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.